everyone, I'm Ian Abernethy and I'll begin this podcast by apologising for how long it's been since the last podcast. That seems to be my customary introduction at the moment. Uh, I've just been crazy busy as always, you know, with my own training, uh, teaching, all the travelling that I do, you know, making sure I get time with the family, uh, my own local club. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you know, everything that I've got to do, all the emails I have to answer, um, the WCA stuff, there's only one of me and there's only 24 hours in a day. So, unfortunately, the, the podcasts have been uh, uh, neglected a little. Uh, I've been recording them. I, I have four recorded ready to go. I've got some some ones on um, law. I've got one, uh, some good ones on teaching children. Uh, I've got one on uh, keeping your body healthy while you train. I've got one done on, on female self-defense these are all interviews with people who regard as being experts in these fields so they're all recorded uh, and hopefully they'll be coming at you uh, thick and fast once i uh, create a little bit of space in the diary to to get them to get them all done things have been particularly busy of late as well what with the birth of uh, sophia you know my daughter was born in march so obviously that's taken up quite a bit of my time and quite right too uh, and uh, the other thing is i've had to set up a eu-based uh, company just to make sure that my business is brexit proof um so yeah so that, that's that's where I've been. I've been been a very busy boy. Um, so in this podcast, it's another conversation with Wim Demir. W- Wim is one of those guys I just really love to talk to. Fascinating guy, um, very logical in his thinking, uh, very widely uh, educated. I, I just find him a really interesting guy to, to chat to, and it's fun to meet to talk to him. And hopefully, you know, you'll enjoy listening to our conversations. So we've done podcasts together in the past uh, where women and I have, have talked. Uh, we answered listeners' questions last time. Uh, this time, we're going to talk on uh, effectively advice for the martial artist. So it's things that we feel uh, mistakes that people make and things that they could do which will help them progress uh, more consistently so i hope you enjoy this we've also we've got another one planned but we'll talk about that in the podcast itself and you you can have a listen to that later on so yes i I hope you enjoy this podcast of course you'd be sure to check out wim's podcast as well because if you're not following wim's stuff you really really should be it's it's excellent if you if you like what we do you're gonna love what wim does you know so yeah be sure to check it out so uh, yeah i think that's enough from this introduction so let me uh, hand over to myself and uh, wim Demir. So uh, here I am with uh, Wim Demir. The pot last podcast we did together, the crossover podcast went down really well. So Wim and I have decided uh, to get uh, back together. Uh, this time we're going to talk about our uh, uh, top tips for martial artists or, or common mistakes uh, we see being made. So Wim's asked me to, uh, to kick this off. So I think um, the one that I think I'll begin with is uh, a failure to differentiate between contexts. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, instead of the martial artist working out what their objective is and then working backwards to determine what the most effective method is, they, they, they tend to try and apply one solution t- to all problems. Does that kind of make sense, Wim? Do you get what I, what I mean by that? Or? Yeah, mm. yeah, I, I think I understand what, what you mean. Um, but I, I want to hear you talk a little bit more because I, there's there's two different ways that I can interpret this. But I'm yeah, going to yeah. let you talk a little bit more. No, no problem. So what, what, for the, the one, like for a classic one. So if you're talking about uh, like the, this, uh, it's one of the things I've got a YouTube video in the works where I've seen a lot of YouTube videos where people talk about uh, which martial arts are good for self defense, which martial arts are bad for self defense. My own point is all of them are bad for self defense because they're not self defense. You know, so it's like if 
you start with the problem and work back, you get a better solution. So if we, we talk about that side of it, most people who want to learn self-defense aren't the same people who want to devote 20 years learning to fight. Uh, you know, the, the generally people with uh, limited time. Jimmy Club makes a nice distinction. He says the people who want to learn first aid, they don't want to become brain surgeons. Most yeah. martial artists want to be brain surgeons or heart surgeons. They're taking it to an incredibly high level. Um, so what you do is you say, okay, for the average person facing criminal violence, what things will be most suitable for them? And it's very little in the way of physical. It's more yeah. to do with, you know, personal security and, and all, 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 the, all these uh, kind of issues. And that would be the solution to that problem. And then you go, well, okay, I want to be able to outfight another martial artist within a given context. You go, okay, well, what methods would best facilitate that? Now, now what I see a lot of, uh, is people trying to take the solution to one problem and apply it to another. Uh, and I think that devalues it when we do that. So, for example, um, uh, last night we are working uh, ways to set up a head-out roundhouse kick off a cross. It was one of the things we were doing in the, the, the dojo. That has, to me, that has no relevance to self-defense at all. But that doesn't mean I reject it or throw it out or ridicule it. You know, it's not for that. It's for when I choose to duel with another martial artist within a given context and framework. So, and I think when you can do that, when you can differentiate between all these contexts and, and you work back from the problem to the solution, everything then has validity. So if you're doing it for health, great, do what's best for your health. If you're doing it for uh, de-stressing yourself, uh, for enjoyment, for a bit of mindfulness and movement, great, do that. If you're doing it for a, a given form of consensual combat, wonderful. And if you're doing it for self-defense, wonderful too. So I think when we get the uh, the context right, we're free to practice everything, get the benefits from all of it, and we're always training in specific ways instead of trying to take one method and apply it to everything. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely, completely agree with that. It's it's one of the things that I've I've talked about for a long time, and I've I've taken quite a bit of heat from the martial arts and combat sports community over that uh, over that one. Um, here's the thing: every every martial arts or defense system, whatever you want to call it, is a tool. It's a tool in the toolbox. Mm. So. And, and we have this very bizarre thing in the martial arts and self-defense community where it's like we argue over the tools. Um, when I mean, you're an electrician, right? So you know about tools. Um, same thing for a carpenter. I've never heard carpenters get into these huge arguments about, no, my hammer is much better than your hammer. No, hammers suck. It's only, it's only uh, screwdrivers that are really important. Everything else is, is just like irrelevant. Uh, what's, what the hell is wrong with you? That kind of stuff, it never happens. So if you look at it from a, a more dispassionate, uh, in a more dispassionate way, then I, I think that you see the issue with that. And, and I totally agree with you that the context is, context is king is one of the things I, I often say. Um, and the, the way I, I talked about it the most is uh, what I call Randy's Law. Uh, and, and I know you, you know about that, but um, I, I've written, I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes uh, to, the, to this kind of stuff for people who are interested. But uh, many, many years ago, um, Randy Brannan is his name's guy, who, a uh, very interesting guy, um, had Filipino martial arts experience, but also Western sword fighting and, uh, saw, I saw him spar sword fighting, uh, with, uh, swords and daggers with somebody. I saw a sword go in somebody's leg and it was quite interesting. So some, some really good experience. And he talked about the, um, in many Filipino styles, what they do is they start you out with a stick. And then you start learning specific striking angles and techniques and so on. And the, one of the reasons why they do that is that the stick is a generic weapon. 
Yeah. Uh, and um, the particulars of using a stick to practice those techniques tend to bleed over and transfer relatively well to knife, to machete, to different weapons. So you learn the techniques at first with a stick, and then you practice them with the other weapons. And one of the things he remarked is that right, one of the problems people have is that they fail to incorporate into their training, or they forget, or they simply flat out neglect, or even worse, say it's not it's not true. They don't take into account that the differences between those weapons are just as important as the similarities. Mm. They focus on the similarities of the context in this case, and they just sometimes flat out ignore the differences. I have this when I teach weapons uh, in the in the style that I do. We we have, for instance, the heavy saber and the much lighter straight sword. Um, I, and I tell my students, you can get away with this wrist motion that you're doing here with, with the straight sword because it's light and because of the weight and the balance and so on. If you try to do that with a saber, it's not going to work. It's going to be too slow. It's going to cost you a lot of muscle. And if you have to fight for about a minute, your arm's going to basically drop dead mm. because it's going to be wasted. Um, and that's what I mean with the differences are just as important. And when it comes to combat sports, um, the example I always give to people is like, right, remember back in the late 80s, uh, well, no, early 80s to late 80s, early 90s, when we had, in Europe, we had a lot of uh, kickboxing and Muay Thai started becoming very, very uh, popular, especially in the Netherlands and France and so on. Um, we had a bunch of American kickboxing champions come over here and try their hand, and uh, they were used to to competing without leg kicks, so no kicks below the waist. And I remember, because I, I, I was a young guy back then, and I read the, all the magazines, and they said, like, yeah, but, you know, leg kick's not really a problem, uh, because we'll just use our lead leg sidekick and kick over that guy from a distance, and he won't be able to, uh, to, to hit us. And it's a clumsy kick to begin with, blah, blah, blah. Well, history has proven they were wrong, <laughs> and they got beat up pretty, pretty bad. They got like kicked all over the place, and they didn't have the skills to handle it. And then, obviously, some of them later on learned. But um, my point is that the rule set that they used was pretty much identical to the rule set that they were competing in over here, with the difference of one technique, the leg kick. Yeah. And that's what I mean. The, the, when you look at a context, look at not just the similarities, because they're easy to spot. Look at the differences and why do they matter? And very much, I mean, very often they they do. And, and I'm going to give one more example. Uh, and again, so Miyamoto Musashi, the famous samurai, it's claimed, you know, there's lots of claims about him. I don't know about the veracity of this, but um, from from many of the, the things that I've read, he, he uh, supposedly fought samurai with wooden swords because he was so damn good kid that he could, you know, he'd get away with wooden swords. Well, he, he his style, if I'm not mistaken, he would uh, work with two swords. So I think a, long, a regular one and a shorter one. Um, so, and he won. Well, yeah, but if you think about it, one of the things that is particular to wood is that if you chop at it with uh, an actual sword, an actual metal sword, it's going to get stuck in the wood mm. if you handle it right. So that would give... Musashi control over the opponent's weapon while he has another weapon in hand that he can beat the guy up with. So I'm, I'm making light of this a little bit, but it's just to give you an example that people are more familiar with and that, just like you say, context is incredibly, incredibly important. And when you look at context, look at the differences. Like, like you say, martial arts, well, it's not self-defense. Self-defense is something very, very specific. If a martial art is done taught and practiced correctly. Self-defense is a part of it, but there's a lot more going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, yeah I, I actually have me to Masashi wielding two wooden sticks tattooed on my arm, by the way. There you so go. That, that's a, it's an analogy, uh, literally, you know, embedded in my skin. Right? But the, uh, no, I, 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 absolutely. And, and, but, and the thing that I would, um, just to kind of add and wrap it up really was, which, you know, you've made clear is it, it doesn't devalue these other things either. And I think martial artists sometimes have a bad habit that self-defense is the only thing they define as real. Would this work for real? Yeah. And, and you know, and like if I, if you're sparring or fighting in a given way, and in a judo tournament, that feels pretty real to me. It's not virtual reality. You know, you're still doing a real set of skills, and your health is real, and your enjoyment of life is real. So I think all these things can have value, and if you don't. Remain mindful of the context. You can train inefficiently. That's the first one. So you, you, you're reliant on the crossover rather than training for something specifically. And the yeah. other thing is you cut yourself off from all the, the wonderful things that martial arts have, has to offer in addition to the self-defense side of things, which I, I, I'm with you. That's part of what I do. I don't want it to be the totality of what I do. Yeah. The other stuff is just so much fun and beneficial as well. You know, I, I want to be an holistic martial artist. Well, I think you just touched on something that's really critical and, um, I'm- um, quickly saying that, so I did a podcast about three most common mistakes that students make, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's uh, at winsblog.com forward slash 31, number 31, uh, and I mentioned three specific, specific things, and one of the things that I mentioned is what my uh, Kuntao teacher, the late Bob Orlando, taught, and he says, um, you have to start by totally understanding that all training is nothing but simulation of reality. It's not reality. It's not real. The only thing real is actual fighting. And everything else is training and simulation. And then if you can accept that, because and I don't think, I don't see how you can refuse to accept that because it's, it's completely accurate. Mm. Um, then look at training differently. And, and, and it, nobody teaches fighting by just fighting and gets, gets at the highest level at whatever art that you want to look or combat sport or whatever. Everybody teaches drills, training, specific techniques, repetitions, and so on, that, like you say, that you're focusing on something very specific, um, but, but it, it, it's not fighting. Nobody fights like that. Of course, it's a drill. It's a training exercise. And, and, and I would post that as a challenge to anybody out there. It's like, right, look at whatever... Um, whether it's a sport, whether it's a combat sport, whether it's football, soccer, tennis, doesn't matter. And I want you to show me the, the high level champions that are out there that do nothing but actually compete. And in training, the only thing, thing they do is actual sparring, actual competition matches and so on, that they don't do drills, that they don't do technical training. And you can leave aside the physical part. So the conditioning, sure. Okay. Let's say that they, that everybody does that, but just they, it's as if that, um, a karate guy who does tournaments only does sparring. He doesn't practice specific techniques and setups and feints and so on. No, just sparring. An hour and a half of sparring, six, seven, eight, uh, whatever times a week. There's nobody out there who does that. Nobody. No, no and, and yet what you'll sometimes get is, as you say, you know, one of my teachers had this phrase. He says it can be realistic. It's never real, which I always thought was similar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Similar idea. But you don't get that in certain things. So, for example, if uh, if I was doing a trapping drill, so I'm isolating a moment in time when those arms connect. We're obviously not going to stay static and still and get involved in a trapathon. You know that that it appears and disappears really quickly. But if you're doing that, people look at it and go, "That will never happen in a fight." And of course, they're right. But that's not the point of it. But you don't hear yeah. it with things like punch bags. I've never heard a boxer or a you know, kickboxer, tie boxer. 
um, argue that, you know, why do you fight with punch bags? It's ridiculous. You don't win championships by beating up punch bags. You beat up people. It's not a hanging bag without arms. You know, everyone accepts, yeah. you know, it, it, it's there to replicate something and to give specific skills. Um, but it, but it's not, you know, as you say, it's a simulation. It's a drill. So, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, I definitely see that too. I, I, I had a guy not that long ago get all bent out of shape on my Facebook page when uh, um, I showed something on my membership site uh, about using a single pad to strike. So you're holding a, a hand pad by yourself and you're working with it. Yeah, yeah. And I showed like a three-second clip uh, of, of like a 10, 15-minute video where I explain how it works. And, and he was getting, you know, this is bullshit, this doesn't work, this is nonsense, blah, 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 get, getting really upset. I tried to be civil at first, but he was, a you know, a, what we call a bad faith actor. He didn't want to actually discuss it. He just wanted to trash me, which is fine. I mean, people can do whatever they like. And I was like... You know, this, this, it's really funny that you don't, you look at three seconds of video without context, without explanation, and you're like, yeah, like, okay, this is crap. <laughs> okay. It's like listening to the first, watching the first three seconds of a movie, like, no, this movie is bad. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it's interesting that that's your thought process. Um, but one of the funny things that, that, uh, that he was like, yeah, you know, has this been, has this, this been, uh, vetted by your peers and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I actually got the ID from Bob Orlando. <laughs> That's one thing. And the second is, just like a few days later, I, I just stumbled by accident on a video um, uh, of um, uh, crap. Now I'm, I'm blanking on his name. This is this is really 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 bad. Um, what's his name? Can British guy Morrison. Oh, Lee uh, Morrison. Do you know Lee Morrison. Yeah, okay. his, his solo pad work is fantastic. Yeah, and I was just yeah, going to yeah. say that. Yeah, okay, you know, I know Lee actually. I've talked to him. I mean, he's one of the guys that, that I, I'm trying to get on the podcast. Um, and sorry, Lee, sorry about blanking for your name, but he's 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 there's a video of him doing this really great solo pad work, and I was thinking, like, you know, how about you say that to Lee? All, all the all the nonsense that you're just you're just spouting out to me, and. Uh, <laughs> And see how that flies. Yeah. Go to one of his seminars and say, "Hey, Lee, you're full of crap." Showing that that kind of stuff. Oh, well, yeah, I, 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 Lee um, and myself used to um, bump into each other the early days of the British Combat Association. We we're both yeah. members, you know, and very articulate, very knowledgeable, one hundred percent practical guy. And he has some fantastic uh, solo pad drills, you know. Which again, you know, we've we've taken some ideas from what we've seen him do, and then apply it to what we do. Yeah, but I know what you mean about this scene things out of context as well because yep. um, that that is uh, i'm glad that's not just me because <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that happens endlessly to me like I, i'll teach a, a full day seminar and i'll put up a little summary clip of a minute you know and then there's always somebody well well why didn't you and what about and all these things of course are covered but you're trying you can't get eight hours worth of training or whatever it is six hours worth of training into a three minute clip so yeah you know it, it's, it's funny how um, I guess that's the internet age. I think people want everything in bite-sized chunks, but you know, I guess yeah. that's an, that's another aspect of context. Yeah, so yeah, I think we've we've. Go ahead. Uh, so, so I was just saying, I think we've we've covered all angles of that one. Yep. Do you ha do you have one whim that you think that would be useful to the listeners next one? Yeah, th th this is one that uh, this is a training tip for for martial artists. Um, it's one that I covered in that in, in that uh, podcast that I just mentioned, my episode. And it's you have to know what to look for when you're learning. Um, when I teach, this is this is, comes up so often, and, and I'm sure you have the same thing. You show a technique or whatever, and then the students start practicing, and you show, the, I don't know, let's say uh, you defend with your left hand and you punch with your right, and they just do the opposite. Mm. They defend with the right hand and punch with the left. Now, it's not that it's necessarily wrong. 
or that it wouldn't work the way they're doing it, but that was not what you showed. And you know why you show that, and you know that there's a logic behind it, and maybe uh, you've got you know additional techniques that will come afterwards, or it's, it's going to fit into a larger hole that they only will understand like an hour later when you've shown all the other stuff. Um, so you have to correct them. And some people, you know, they're not paying attention. That happens. But a lot of people don't really know how to learn a technique or they don't have like a, um, a model in their head, like, right, teacher showing something. How should I be, you know, what should I be doing to really see right away what I should be doing in about a minute's time when it's my turn? For instance, one of the things that I say, like, right, okay, your teacher's, your teacher's showing a technique. Put yourself in the same orientation. If he's looking, if he's facing a wall, you know, stand a little bit off to the side so you can still see, but also face the wall. Mm. Then at the very least, you can see what angle is he stepping at, where is he going, and so on. So it's all stuff like that. Look at, you know, which hand is he using for what? Is he using left or is he using right? What happens in sequence? Is, um, is he first doing the stepping, then the blocking, or is it happening at the same time? So what happens when simultaneously or one movement at a time? And it's all those different things. There's a bunch of uh, factors and little tricks that you obviously pick up as you study more. But all those things combined make that you know what to look for when you're learning something new. Um, that you don't have to think about, well, wait, what did he just show me? Where did he start? And so on. No, you automatically know, like, okay, this is throwing a defense against a... Oh, I don't know. It's a guy grabbing you by the throat. Okay, how? What hand moved first? What? What did he do then? Where did he end up? Uh, how many steps did he take? Which foot moved first, and so on. My point is that again, we're back to simulation and to learning. If you uh, in real life, maybe you you if you do do the other hand, it still works great. Mm. But it's not real life. You you're, you're learning something specific. So if you don't pay attention to those details, well, maybe your technique is going to work, but you'll have to use a lot more strength to get it done. Whereas if you do what the teacher shows, actually it works much better because yeah. of the biomechanics and the angles and what have you. And that should be the whole purpose, that you have a really solid technique that works well, as opposed to every single time just having to improvise in a way that is suboptimal. Um, I'm not saying improv improvisation is bad. I'm saying improvising for improvising sake is bad. Mm. improvise doing it with solid techniques and solid uh, knowledge and good principles and understanding what you're doing as opposed to just panicking and just flailing around and hoping it works. So, and, and for me, that starts very often is that students don't know what to look for. And it's something you have to teach yourself. Your teacher can help you like, okay, watch, watch out for this, that, this and that. But at the same time, you have to make a conscious effort to pay really close attention. And then you have to know, well, what do I have to pay attention to? Yeah. So, so I can, you know, replicate this in in about thirty seconds time, a minute's time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, totally agree with that. Absolutely. What I was thinking, what was coming to mind there. What one of the things I always do to amuse myself at seminars is I always try and drop a Bruce Lee quote in every seminar, <laughs> right? So at some point I'll just try and quote Bruce Lee, and I just do it. People, some of the people know, so they smile when I do it. But I just, you know, I'm quoting various karate masters, but at some point I've got to drop Bruce Lee in, right? But one of the ones I often use is that line from. Uh, Enter the Dragon, where um, he's teaching the, the like the teenage boy at the start, and he keeps yeah, yeah. slapping. Him, and there's a, there's the line in that where he, he says he goes, it's like a finger pointing to the moon, and the kid looks at the finger and he slaps him. He says, don't concentrate on your finger, or you miss all that heavenly glory, right? So I, I think 
look, from what you're saying, the, my take on it is that the, the student needs to look at the finger first so they know what it's pointing to or the direction it's pointing and then follow it. Right, so if they don't look at the finger first, they're just scanning the sky and they're not going to see what you want them to see, right? But if they just look at the hand all the time, again, they're missing the point. So when, when in martial arts, when we teach a specific technique, they need to carefully observe the specifics of that technique so that they understand what it's representing, what it's pointing to, so they can get to the principles. Then when they have the principles, then they can effectively adapt and vary. Yeah. So yeah, and, and I think that's that, that. That I think sometimes people go well. You know, in, in reality, exactly what you said. In reality, it might be the left or it might be the right. Or no, no, no. Wait a minute. You scan on the sky. I want you to look. Look at the finger first. Look at the look. Get the details of what I'm trying to show and communicate, and then you've got a good example of the principles. You see. So I also it's, it's like like a student uh, learning mathematics by memory. Otherwise, yeah. you know what I mean? They, they need to understand what, 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 you know, so you'll go like two plus two is four. Now what's two plus three? And they go, I don't know. You've changed one of the numbers. You know what I mean? So it, it, that, that's a problem. It, but they will never understand addition unless they get lots of examples of that process. Yeah. So, yeah, no, absolutely. The more observant people can be, uh, the, the better. And for me, that's one of the things that helped me because I'm a fairly good mimic. You know, I, I, if somebody moves, I, I, I can mimic that movement relatively quickly. I might understand why I'm doing what I'm doing in the initial stages, but I, I'm, I'm able to get a, an approximation of it. And then from yeah. there, I can feel, oh, I, I get why we're doing that that way. Yeah. So, yeah, being observant is definitely a big one. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 the, the, the final thing I'd say on that is that, um, you know, the, you're not seeing the forest for the trees, that, that expression, um, it does disservice when it comes to martial arts because you need to see both. You need to see the forest and each individual tree, and sometimes each individual branch or leaf on a tree. Because sometimes, it, it, depending on what you're actually learning, some really minor details make a huge difference uh, when applied correctly. And I, I think I've said this before, but I've got a friend, Justin, so you notice that I'm talking about him. He's a really great jiu-jitsu guy. He's a really great guy overall, but really high level in jiu-jitsu. And he once taught a class on finger joint locks, and the, and the name of the class was Millimeters Matter. Well, if you're working with such a small joint that is, you know, on a finger, yeah, millimeters matter, makes a difference. Now, if you then apply the same principle to all your other joint locks, all of a sudden, you know, you, you become a lot more proficient because you're, you're, the way you measure um, the quality of your technique becomes much more strict. It's not like, well, you know, anything close to the joint is fine. No, 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 where exactly do you put it? And and then, you know, final reference, because we were making references, um, The Patriot, the movie with Mel Gibson, older movie, when he's, he's uh, doing an ambush on the British and um, because they took his son and his two small boys are going to help him. And he says, what do I teach you boys about shooting? And they both answer, aim small, miss small. <laughs> and, well, that's the point. If you aim in the general direction, sure, you, you might hit or you might not hit, but if you say aim for something specific, the odds of you actually hitting something are much, much higher. So it's a little bit like that. Um, that's the way I, I like to teach as well. And, and just like, okay, you know, everything matters. The big picture, but also the little picture. Yeah, that's it. They're, 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 not, they're not contradictory. Doing a specific example to get down the detail is not contradictory to doing it in a more open and freeing way where lots of variations exist. You know, one leads or should lead to the other. So, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Okay. I think you're, you're next. Yeah, well, well one that... that, that um, I see quite a bit is a failure to measure personal training by personal results. I, I think, and what I'm, what I'm, what I mean by that is your 
martial arts should always be about what they're doing for you and what your specific objectives are. So it doesn't matter what it's doing for somebody else. It doesn't matter what abilities or skills that person's got. You need to look at what it's doing for you. So I'll give an example, right? Is you'll get, um, uh, I, I know karate guys who spend 90% of the training punching the air and marching up and down the room doing motions that very rarely do they are not anywhere near enough that they apply it against uh, another human being and even then very rarely against a resisting human being. Uh, but those same people, will, if you point out to them, that's not an efficient way to train. If you desire, if you want function, you need to train differently. And they'll point out things. Well, uh, Lita Machada's, uh, he's a Shotokan guy and he does really well in MMA. So that proves that what we're doing works. Well, it doesn't because he's him training the way he trains. And you're you training the way that you're training. The fact that you share a style or system doesn't make any difference. You know, it's always yeah. what is your specific training giving you in regards to your specific goals. So if, if something else is working for somebody else, that doesn't necessarily mean it's ideal for you. So having a clear idea of what your goals are, I think, is is key. Yeah, and it makes makes perfect sense to me. And and, and I would add to that is that. Um, it's not just you uh, and your style. It's also your teacher within that style. Because um, let's say you do Shotokan Karate like Machida did. Um, your teacher might might teach a certain way, but his teacher is likely to teach in a very different way. And that makes a huge difference in the end. And mm. his teacher uh, of that guy might actually teach different. And that guy's teacher might actually teach completely different from the way that Funakoshi used to teach it. So who knows? And it's, it's, it's all very easy to say like, well, you know, this is how it is. And, and then I think we need to be a little bit more humble as martial artists. And, and this, and I'll talk a little bit uh, about this, a little more about this later on when I have another point that I want to make. Um, is that, you know, there, there's, it's a, it's a big world out there. There's many different ways of approaching the martial arts and, and who made you Aries God of War that you can decide what is right and what is wrong. Maybe more than one way can work at the same time. I think we've pretty much, you know, I would say that this has been proven over and over again, that it's more the person, not necessarily the art. And that with what some might consider really bad art for self-defense, other people can actually make that work real well and vice versa. So how about, you know, we tend to take a step back a little bit and, and say, you know, my way is the only way. No, not necessarily. But then as you say, like, okay, it needs to work for you. Mm. If that works for you, fine. Okay, and if it doesn't work, well, maybe you need to do some soul searching and see what, how you need to fix it. Because yeah, yeah. uh, and the, and the final thing I want, I want to mention about that is that um, the uh, lineage doesn't mean anything. It, it doesn't matter who your teacher's teachers was, uh, or if you have a direct lineage from the founder of the of the system. It doesn't matter if you if you don't train well, no, or right. if what happens a lot. Uh, is that along the way a lot of information got lost and that you no longer have it in the system that happens so many times so so my point would be like you know, like you said that one guy just walking up and down the room the whole time you know I'm, i don't have anything against that but if you if you never really put it to a more stricter test then you better be damn sure that you had perfect training so you can be confident that it works 
If you, yeah. if there's some people, may, uh, a friend of mine makes that point is that you don't necessarily need to hit a heavy back or hit pads to have good technique and uh, be effective to defend yourself. And it's a really long discussion that I'm not going to have here, but I see his point. My point then is that sure, but the equipment is there, the partners are there, so why not just try it out and see see what happens? Mm. And then we get to simulation and reality uh, and rules again. Get to that argument, but. I think the argument of of hitting a pad, hitting a hitting a heavy back, and and so on, is really strong, and it really helps. Just give it a try, even if you don't like it, even if you don't do it all the time. Just give it a try, and and all of a sudden you know it's like, oh, okay, I thought my wrist was aligned correctly in my straight punch, but apparently it's not because I am tweaking it the whole time. Maybe I'm making my fist the wrong way, and so on. So it's it's just an easy way to get feedback on what you're doing. So I don't see the point in not doing it. No, no, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. And I, I would say as well that the, um, it, it, again, it depends also what your personal goals are. Yeah, so yeah, if someone, if someone says, you know, what, what the, 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 for example, you might get a guy who says, you know, I've got a really stressful job and, and, and it drives me insane. And I like to walk into the dojo. I put on my, my, my gi. I, I walk into another world. I, I, I lose myself in doing my cutter and march up and down the dojo. I get a good sweat on. It's good for my health. It's good for getting rid of all that stress. And I, and I leave. And, and I leave all my problems in the dojo. So my personal, what I want from my training is to to in, in immerse myself in that culture to escape the world for half an hour because it's good for my body in the, uh, 90 minutes. It's good for my body and it's good for my mind. So that training there is giving yeah. him the results I want. So big tick in the box, you know, that's perfect. Yeah. Now the same guy... You know, let's say this is a 60-year-old guy, high-stress job, and he enjoys going into the karate dojo and doing his kata. He, he then decides, well, do you know what? I'm going to give MMA a go. And he goes to a club that's a competitive MMA club, you know, and his body gets broken and battered, and it's not what he wants. So it's always, you know, what is your specific goal, and then how do you most effectively achieve that goal, and, and measure by that and by nothing else. Um, it, it, does, yeah, it doesn't matter what other people think's most effective because it, they could be talking about most effective for something entirely different. It, it's it's what you want to get out f- uh, of, of your training, and, and then you have an objective measure that you can check your progress against yeah. as well. You know. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that. It, it's that um, you only have one life. Is my opinion. I could be wrong, but I don't know how I'm going to be able to prove it. That's just uh, <laughs> what I'm convinced is true. Uh, so you have to live it. You don't have to live it any, you know, for other people in the way that they see it. And that includes your training. Just train for what you want. And it's like you said, some people um, think self-defense is the most important thing, and then they don't want to do anything but that. Fine. And some people really enjoy, you know, the the challenging yourself when you're in a sparring match in class. And yeah, sure, okay, you've got rules and regulations, you've got protective gear because you don't want to hurt each other and injure each other. But they really like that challenging, like, okay, I've, I'm fighting this black belt. It's really fast. It's good. I've always had trouble, but now this I'm going to try. I don't know. I'm going to try my, my uh, reverse punch to the body a few times. I think he's open for that. And it works or it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, okay, you've got another puzzle to solve. And if it does work, you can get a really get a rush of, of just exhilaration and, and joy of like, yes, I finally managed to score a point on that guy. I'm so happy. And then he kicks you in the face and it's over. <laughs> but um, you train for your own goals doesn't matter i mean i don't know why i train i train because i still enjoy it after after 30 plus years it's it's it, it's just part of my life i don't have to think about it i just i'll be training later today I trained yesterday and it's 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 going to happen 
It's yeah. going to happen, and that's that's my life. And if it's different for you, unless you live in a situation where your life is in danger every day, that's different. You live in a war zone. You live in uh, a society that is broken down. You live in a third world country where there's loads and loads of, of, of violence and, and crime. Um, that's different. Training becomes extremely focused, and but the context has changed. But this is not true for most people living in the Western in Western countries. I'm not saying it's not out there. I'm, I know it exists. I know quite well that there are certain places, uh, both in, in, in the UK, in, in, in uh, Europe, and, and in other parts of the world, where it's actually quite dangerous. I know full well. But that's not the majority of the places. No, no. And, and, yeah, and, that, and if that is your context, you know, if, if, if that's what your, uh, your specific training goals are, then again, I go back to the early point. You know, the more effective thing is maybe lifestyle issues, or you know, yeah. trying to. The, the, there's other other things you can do, but yes, that would that would be your focus. Because I, I I went through a period in my twenties where all I cared about was function, self defense function. Didn't care about you know just the enjoyment of the art. Didn't care about whether it was good or bad for my health. Trained in stupid ways, got injured in ways that were totally avoidable. And, and I look back at that now, and I don't really think it helped me achieve my self defense focused goals either. You know, I, I think that um, being a little bit more holistic and broader in my approach is is, is helped overall, I think. But yeah, yeah per, per, that would be the one for me. You know, whatever your personal goals are, you need to measure by personal results. Not what it's doing for something else or not what somebody else is training for. If it's working for you, it's getting the results you want, you're training perfectly well. Yeah. No, good, good stuff. Uh, I think whim, isn't it? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It's my turn. All right. So here's another training tip adjust to the level of your partner. Now, when you go to class or you go to a seminar, you're going to be end up working with people who are sometimes better than you, sometimes they're just beginners, sometimes they're about, you know, your level of experience and training. You don't know. Regardless, you could also uh, have to work with somebody who's much stronger and bigger and heavier or vice versa. And, and all these kind of things um, happen, and it's good that they happen because you need to work with a bunch of people. However... If you have a certain way of training, you might think, well, you know, I only want to train hard and this person's not strong enough or I'm going to injure them if I go uh, with more speed and power. So um, I'm wasting my time. No, you're not. You're not. You can focus on different things. You can focus on timing, on angle, on distance. You can focus on the final details of your technique. You can perfect your body mechanics. There's so much that you can work. That works actually works better with a partner who, for instance, isn't as strong or fast as you because you now have the opportunity to focus on those things because you don't have to be afraid that they're going to knock you into next week. So adjusting to the level of your partner means that you don't train too hard, but it also means you don't train too soft. If you're both of a, of a certain level, let's say that you're both black belts, because that's an easy reference point for most people. Well, don't train with another black belt like he is a white belt, because neither one of you is likely to, uh, to make much progress that way. Or let's say that, you know, he just got injured working with a previous partner and he's really in pain. He says, oh, okay, I, I can continue, but you know, my, my left arm is, uh, is really busted up now and I, I don't want to stop, but, uh, I just can't take any more let's say, uh, techniques that, that you just kick that arm too hard, right? Then you slow down a little bit and you adjust to the level of your partner. Um, and, and that immediately brings me to the next part is just don't be, you know, how, how much swearing do, do you do you like in, in the podcast team? <laughs> uh, we, we're going to, uh, uh, it's not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, PG-13 is probably okay. where we normally go. But don't, yeah. I'll say don't be a bad person. 
Well, and I, and you can you can imagine uh, all the cuss words that I'm saying that I'm thinking about. Don't be a x x bleep bleep. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Um, and I'll quickly say give you an example. Just just yesterday, one of my students told me about another one of my uh, MMA students. He went to a different gym here in Belgium, um, and apparently, uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a really great guy. He's very he's a, the the perfect example of not too hard, not too soft when you work with other people. He's, over, he's, he's got some experience. He's not bad. Uh, but when he works with a beginner, he takes his time. He goes slow and he makes, and he helps them out. And when he works with an experienced partner, I mean, they go fast and, and they put a decent amount of uh, strength in the techniques. Perfect. He went to this other gym. One of the instructors saw that he already had some uh, training. He said, oh, you've been training. He says, yeah, you know, a little bit. I, I, you know, I do my best. Um, he says, yeah, let me show you something. And he just did the inside leg kick just I mean, to chop his leg off. And, and uh, yeah, and, and my students are like, oh, what are you doing? He says, no, you, you, you have to toughen up. You have to harden up a little bit. And it's first class. So that instructor is the first time he saw my student, doesn't know anything other than, okay, he trains a little bit, and that's what he does. My students uh, showed me the picture of his leg, the inside of his leg. It's completely black and blue. So, and, and that's what I mean. That's an instructor not adjusting to the level of his partner. Yes, you can do that, of course, but the only way you can do that, bad person, and, and you can, again, imagine all the cuss words that I'm using, um, is because you're in the instructor and the guy doesn't know what you're going to do next. And then you, mm-hmm. you hurt him, you injure him. And there's a famous video on, on the internet about this where you see a white belt in a class working, trading leg kicks with another guy. And the, and the other guy is bigger and stronger. And he's just laying into that, that white belt. The white belt's limping and he, and he has heart. He doesn't want to give up, but he's in pain. The instructor walks over <laughs> and asks that, that, that uh, bad guy to, you know, okay, you do this with me now. Bad guy kicks him in the leg and the instructor kicks that guy's leg so hard that he drops to the floor. Basically pointing out that if you don't adjust the level of your partner, you're being a bully. Mm. You're bullying somebody who you know you can beat you know you're stronger or better or whatever than, than that person. Um, okay, there's somebody out there who can be a bullet to you. And if you insist on being a bullet to your training partners, very very soon you'll find somebody who's willing to take you up on it and going to prove that actually you're not as bad as you think you are. And in many cases, it's going to be the teacher. And if it's not the teacher, it's going to be one of his assistants. And if it's not and I've had that happen to me, and I've had it happen to students, is that it's got to be somebody that you really misjudge uh, their skill level. Just because they don't go full out, just because they don't uh, kick up and shoot real hard right away, doesn't mean they are unable to. So adjust to the level of your partner. Anyway, that's my take. No, I I think that's just a couple of, like... uh, additional points really there just mirroring what you've said is i was actually reading uh carno the founder of judo i was reading some of his writings at the weekend and there's a uh, there's a lovely paragraph in his book where he talks about the importance of mutual benefit uh, uh, specifically in randori so he's talking about exactly what you're saying about there is that any randori session has to be mutually beneficial to both people yeah. You know, it regards that as a fundamental essence of judo. So it can't be, you know, the 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 hundred kilo downgrade slamming the you know the fifty kilo white belt into the mat all the time because again it's it's beneficial to neither of them. 
So it, 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 I, I like that. I'm going to find that paragraph, and I think I'm going to share it on Facebook over the next couple. Of weeks. It's brilliantly well written, like most of Carnot's stuff. You know, the guy's a, a genius. But this idea of mutual benefit, and and again, keeping it PG thirteen. But we have a rule in the dojo where we say uh, no a holes, no heroes. That that's the rule. So yeah. a hero is someone who gets punched too, way too hard, or gets a, and just think, oh, I'll 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 tough it out. No, don't tough it out. Tell your partner, well, hang on a minute, for what we're doing at the moment and for the way we're agreeing to train, that's too hard. You know, don't keep your mouth shut because it might be the other guy hasn't, you know, he's maybe not deliberately going out of his way to harm you, but he might not have judged it correctly. Yeah. And the other one is, you know, don't be an a-hole, right? You know what I mean? Don't be the guy who enjoys beating up the, the, the other grades, you see, because, uh, you know, that's not beneficial to... Um, Anybody. And the yeah. final thing I'll just add as well, you know, you're saying about your student who had that. I, I know clubs like that over here yeah. where they have this kind of um, testosterone, alpha male gone mad thing where it's, um, you know, you're asking me to take it easy. No one will take it easy on the street. You know, it's, it's that kind of mindset. And, and then sometimes what they've got is very tough clubs, but not because what they're teaching is any good at all. What they do is they just get rid of anyone who can't already deal with it. So they haven't got a teaching process. They've got a selection process. So the kind of person who'll just turn up and take punishment will be part of that class. The kind of person who's a little bit more discerning, you know what I mean, who thinks this isn't efficient training, or the kind of person who's maybe not naturally a fight and not naturally combative and needs developed more. Because my view is everyone can do it. I don't believe there's such a thing as a born fighter. I think every human being alive today is a thoroughbred survivor. You just need to you know, have that decent experience and, and, and education. So what we should judge what we do by the weaker student, not the strongest one. We should nurture people, not batter them to the point where we reject them. So, yeah, yeah no, I think that's an excellent one. I agree with you yeah. totally. I'd, I'd just add one, one quick anecdote to that. Um, so the, so the, the, my student went to an MMA gym. Um, I've experienced this. It's one of the reasons why I don't go to, go to other gyms anymore because uh, I'm sick and tired of having that happen. There's the see that you have some experience. They put you with the biggest competitor that they have and try to beat you up. I'm, I'm getting, I'm 47. I'm too old for that stuff. Um, but, um, and also I don't feel that I have to prove myself anymore. I'm there to learn. If you're not teaching, if you're only beating people up, well, what do I have to gain? I don't compete anymore, and there's no money in it for me, so why would I? Anyway, one of my students, uh, my private students, he, um, I trained him in preparation for a trip to Thailand, and he was in uh, the training camp of Sunshine for three weeks, and he actually trained with him, took, took private lessons with him. Now, for the people who don't know, look up Sunshine, uh, S-A-E-N-C-H-A-I. Uh, we can argue about this, but it's probably the best Muay Thai fighter in the world right now and perhaps uh, of all time. Uh, incredible guy, not not very tall, but you can see him if you look up sparring Sanshai on YouTube. You'll find a bunch of uh, videos of him sparring during seminars with guys who are about twice his size, and and they're having a really hard time with him. Well, my student was there, and he said that you know there's there's him. Sancho was preparing for a fight, and uh, so he actually saw him training, and he saw a bunch of other professional fighters, really high level guys, training with him and with other guys. They don't beat each other up. They don't do it. <laughs> They don't. Nobody does it over there. The only thing they do is sometimes they, they work um, fluidly and fast with each other where they're kicking to the body or kneeing to the body. And there's a fair amount of impact. But what you're seeing is a guy who's freaking world champion working with people who are at about his level. And this is something that they've gradually built up to over the years. It's not the first lesson. It's not the first class. It's something that took years to develop and toughening up, if that's what you want to do, is a gradual process. 
if you don't do it in a gradual process, because like what my student has, I mean, he won't be able to stand leg kicks to the inside of his leg for at least two weeks, which means total loss of training time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's, a, that, that's just a waste of time. That's a guy's ego taking over and, and, and just being an a-hole, like you say. Um, but the, the, the best fighters in the world don't do it that way. No. They I, I don't. Remember. Uh, Bertrand Ingle, you know, uh, famous uh, British boxing coach, you know, trained a number of world champions. He did a, uh, uh, they used to, in, in boxing magazine, they used to do this piece where they'd get two trainers or boxers to argue uh, from differing standpoints. And there was an, an, an article where about whether you should train heavy contact all the time. Uh, and Bertrand Ingle, who was, again, trained multiple world champions, his view was you shouldn't. Uh, and the final line of the article was, uh, the only time you should get punched full power in the head is when you're getting paid millions of dollars for exactly. it to happen. Yeah, and, and yeah. I thought that, that that's it. So, and, of course, these guys can fight, and they can fight hard, but they don't train that way because it shortens careers, results in injury, yeah. may miss and miss bouts. So, yeah, as you say, it's in, 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 and that's at the top level. You know, yeah, right? not exactly. talking about the rank and file as well. You know, so, and and to, yeah. fin- to finish off that story, I mean, this is what I'm talking about is when they work with a partner. Yes, they do sparring. And yes, sometimes the sparring is intense, but it's not like they're actually competing. And and many times they do, they, they do partner drills or some light sparring. There's no shin guards. There's no gloves. They punch a little bit to the body, but they kick a knee to the body, but not to the head. And sometimes it goes really fast and it looks hard, but it's not, not the hardest they could punch or kick by far. However... What they do really, really hard is hitting the pads, hitting the heavy bag, and that kind of stuff. That, when you see Sunshine working on the pads, and there's a bunch of other guys um, that you can see work really, really hard on the heavy bag and on the pads, okay, that's when they go full on. That's, that's, uh, and that works extremely well, the explosive, uh, explosiveness of the technique, um, combinations, and the part, and the bad man's gonna hit him back, and that's the work, technical stuff, but then they go all out, and they are really good at that. And, and, and just a really quick final anecdote for anybody who uh, remembers the, the original Street Fighter video game, which was a huge thing uh, many years ago. There's the, the Muay Thai fighter, Sagat. Sagat is actually a real guy. He's a real Muay Thai champion. He's in his 60s now. There's a video out there. If you look it up, Sagat uh, 60 or Sagat old or whatever, you can see him working on the heavy back. That guy still, he can still kick ass. He's, <laughs> he, you don't want to eat those kicks and punches. Now, he's not what he was when he was younger, but he's still in really good shape. That's what you want to be. 60 years old, be able to do full power body kicks with your shins on the heavy back and train real hard because you didn't beat your, beat yourself up uh, unnecessarily. Yeah. Like, like Peter Considine's my, my teacher. Peter turned 70 this year, and, and he's still training crazy hard. You know what I mean? Still super fit, still hits with incredible force because, again, he's been trained intelligently. Yeah. Yeah, for a long period of time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, I think it's your turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We touched on this one, actually, but it was um, the the idea that uh, the style exists to serve you. You do not exist to serve the style is one, one that I would say. So I, I think uh, sometimes when people join a, a various group, it, it's what you get from that group that, that ultimately... Uh, matters and every human being is different and every human being has slightly different um, uh, goals uh, we should also be able to train in a way that that evolves to fit our needs so I, I think the the individual progress and skill is more important than the notion of preserving uh, a style I think especially I mean I, I, I can't speak for the 
the Chinese systems, but I'm sure it's the same. But but in, in the Japanese systems, this is the idea of an always a desire to keep things pure, uh, to keep things like original. And, and I think it's based on the flawed concept because nothing's ever been pure. It's always changed and evolved. And there never was an original. There was no martial art that was immaculately conceived that just dropped from the heavens into the mind of a practitioner. You know, they, they all come from somewhere. They've all changed and evolved over time to serve the needs of the people that are practicing them. So at one point it was about killing a samurai on a battlefield. Later on it's about keeping fit and healthy and winning medals in a competition. You know, they've all evolved and changed over time. And I think that process needs uh, to con- con- continue. So when, because I know students who, you know, they've got slightly different ideas and objectives about what they want from the training, and then they'll go to a club and they'll go, well, that's not the way we do it, or our style doesn't do that. Well, you should always say, okay, well, if I want the most powerful punch possible, how do I achieve that? Not, is it the way my style does it? If I, if I want to compete, well, okay, what's the best form of competitions for me? You know, it's the idea, again, of taking it back to the individual and, and not putting style first, I think, is, is another important one. Yeah, um, I'm going to push back a little bit on that one. So I understand what you mean, and I agree with you um, with with a caveat. And a caveat would be is that I do not think that um, innovation for innovation's sake is always by default a good idea. So there's something in, in Chinese martial arts which is called true transmission which means that you have to transmit the techniques uh, from from teacher to student onto the next generation and so on in in a correct way, so nothing gets gets lost. Now, to a certain degree, that, that's utopian because it, it doesn't happen. Stuff always gets lost, and we, neither one of us two, and anybody else for that matter, knows what it's really like to live in China or, J- or Japan 300 years ago. We can approximate it a little bit. We can study and look stuff up and so on. But we really don't know what it's like to a certain degree, but, but not fully like we know what it's like to live in 2019 here in Europe. So we, we have to be a little bit careful. And there are many reasons for certain things in certain systems that either uh, weren't transmitted correctly or that, that got lost over time. That's one aspect uh, to it. So if... If information is lost, sometimes the true meaning of why you do something in a in a system can uh, can no longer translate once we we give it another hundred years. But if you do know the reason, then all of a sudden it makes sense again, and 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 that's really difficult. It's really really difficult because it, it totally depends on what we call true transmission. Has it been passed on correctly? If it is passed on with flaws, and I, I know of, of uh, people who have had that happen to them, is where they, they thought they were learning correctly, but they didn't. They, they, they re- received er- erroneous training. Um, they end up in, in what I call a dead-end street. All of a sudden, you, you can't go any further that way in your training and your progress. You have to go back and take a different route. And sometimes that isn't even possible. You have to relearn so many things that um, it's really difficult. And this boils down to something that I that I uh, I think this this is a podcast episode twenty one of my of, of mine so that's been blog forward slash twenty one and it's an episode called martial arts as systems and this is one of my points um, in which I my claim is this if you look at martial arts uh, a, st- a specific style as a system I don't think it will automatically work if you take a piece of that puzzle 
take it away and grab another piece of a puzzle from a different martial arts and try to insert it into that first art and then expect it to work automatically. And and it's like I, I sometimes say, it's like you've got a Swiss watch. It's an intricate mechanical um, device that is really, really... It, it, it needs to be incredibly precise. And the way you make it, I mean, you, people can look that up on documentaries. It's really difficult. You can't just take out one little piece and then just grab one from whatever other watch that you have, put it back in there and expect it to give the time correctly. It's just not how it works. Mm. Um, and, and that would be my, what I would push back a little bit is that, yes, martial arts have to evolve. I'll give you an, an example from uh, the style that I have, uh, that I practice in the Tai Chi Chuan, the practical Tai Chi Chuan that I teach. There's a technique against uh, what was supposedly a typical attack from back in the day, which was um, a double palm strike. So the guy is doing a straight palm strike, one high, one low. I've never, ever seen anybody do that in real life, ever. And I've watched thousands upon thousands of videos online. I've watched Ch people in China fight for real and so on. I've never seen it, ever. Uh, point is, does that make the technique useless? Well, no, you can adapt it to work against uh, a straight punch or a big haymaker, but you have to adapt it. But you have to keep the line of where it comes from. Well, what, what I do know that some people do is using two weapons at the same time. They strike high, but actually it's the low strike that they want to stab you in the groin with. Uh, so that's where it becomes applicable again. And, and a quick side note on that is that Daniel Santo, uh, in the famous Daniel Santo, once talked about, in an interview, he talked about the Jeet Kune Do, and somebody asked, why are, in Jeet Kune Do, there are so many defenses against the sidekick? And he said that, you know, back in the day when Bruce Lee made the system, that's what everybody was doing. Everybody was doing sidekicks. So he had a bunch of defenses and techniques against that. He said, nowadays, you've got Muay Thai, you've got MMA, you've got all this other stuff. Sidekick isn't used as much uh, anymore in comparison to all the other techniques that are used as well. So, and my point is then, well, you know, then probably if Bruce Lee were alive today, um, he probably would have changed the Jeet Kune Do system immensely compared to where he left it off when, unfortunately, he passed away way too soon. So, and, and that would be my overall uh, thing is that I just had a, uh, um, I did a coaching call with uh, a long-distance student uh, this morning, and uh, we talked about that. And it's one of the things that that I think is critical is I don't blend the arts that I that I practice. I look at the similarities and the differences. I try to learn from comparing them to each other, but I don't blend them. I don't mix them um, because I want to keep them as much separate as possible in my head, so I can keep on viewing them as the separate systems that they are. You don't just grab uh, a piece of machinery from a Jaguar and put it in a Ford. You can try, see what happens. But you, you don't just grab anything and, and expect it to work. You know, It won't fit, or maybe it will fit if you really wrench it down hard, but you have to break it when you do it that. And it's just an analogy that will break down eventually. But my point is that it, it's not as black and white. However, and this is where I'm in agreement with you, your, the arts have to evolve over time. They, there will always be similarities with the past, but there will also be differences because of the day that the, the age that we live in. So your art, if it is taught correctly, it has the concept, the tools, the techniques that you need to, to adapt it to whatever uh, place or time that you are in your life. And I think that is one of the things that as teachers we try to do is try to make the art relevant to our day and age. 
and try to at the same time teach it in a way so that our students can do the same thing when we're no longer here. Yeah. Well, in the, in the Japanese arts, the, the, there is a there's a concept, the shuhari idea, which is what for me this is the way that should evolve and and it hopefully it avoids some of those pitfalls. Because I think when you say in the martial arts have changed, some people hear, um, "Oh, you're suggesting a free for all." So Johnny Yellowbelt decides that he wants to do something entirely different. Well, yeah. The the, the 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 way that it's supposed to work, the shuhari idea, it's made up of three. Uh, for those that don't know, it's made up of three characters. You've got Chu, Ha, and Ri. And put them together, and you get this this word shuhari, which it means to. The first one means to copy, the second one means to diverge, and the third character means to transcend. So what you do is the the initial stage is you 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 copy what you've been taught, so you gain sufficient knowledge, understanding, and ability. So if a guy with twenty years experience says, "I think I can make this better," that guy will probably have something valid to say. The guy who's been training for three months. Is not going to have anything valid to say on that. So, so, but then what happens is, okay, she says, look, I, I've got this other influence. I've got this other experience. I've learned different things from different teachers. I believe we can um, diverge a little from what we were originally taught in order to make it better. Now, of course, you do enough divergence and ultimately it transcends into something new. Yeah. You know, so, and, and to me, that's the process that we shouldn't cut ourselves off from. And what, um, I see a lot, certainly within karate, you have this, uh, uh, I so say it's not shuhari, it's shoo, shoo, shoo. Copy, 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 copy. Yep. So, for example, right, um, modern sports science gives us more efficient ways of training than they had 100 years ago. So rather than punch wooden posts and, and lift up weighted jars, maybe there's other forms of conditioning that would better serve our purposes. Maybe you know, losing things like punch bags and focus mitts and tie pads, they're not used traditionally, not because there's anything wrong with them, it's because they didn't have them to use. Exactly. So, so, so I, I think that that that's the way that um, I, I would suggest that that it that it needs to um, to work is that on the one hand we accept change, but we don't say, well, okay, you know, it, it, it's a free for all. Because your point there, I mean, I remember Chris Wilder saying a similar thing where he, he said to me, we we're talking about power generation, and Chris's way of generating power is different from mine. And he taught a seminar for my students, and we were leaving. He goes, "What did you think of this?" He goes, "Oh, Chris, I loved how he did this. I loved this." And he said, what about the power generation stuff? I said, I love what you do. It just doesn't quite fit with the way that we move. And he said, he goes, yeah, you don't put Ford parts on a Peugeot car, do you? You know, and that, I think, goes to the, the essence of what you were saying. You can't just, it's not plug and play. It's not, you're not talking like Lego bricks here, where you can take a method from one system and drop it straight in. As you say, it often won't fit. But over time, with that Shuhari model, I think we, we you know we 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 can evolve and we can make the martial arts better for them. You know, so the style improves, as you say, becomes more relevant to more people, and also the individual can do that to make sure their martial arts training is is relevant for their specific needs. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm in complete agreement with you on that, and I'll give a quick example. I'm sure you have that you know in in the Japanese styles as well, where you have specific training for reflexes. So or well, to, well not reflexes, but uh, reaction speed. So uh, the you you in the old kung fu movies you, you saw in one of the Shaolin movies uh, you saw Gordon Liu there's this this uh, a bunch of smaller heavy bags that are hanging at about head height and and somebody pushes them and they all start moving and he has to walk in there and basically just you know move his head around and do evasion so he doesn't get hit by any one of the dozen bags that are swinging uh, at his head all the time and it's an unpredictable pattern so it works uh, your reaction time uh, really well um, that's the idea. 
Well, that is something that, you know, obviously you'd be able to make that work at any point in time right now, but also throughout history. But we've got things that are so much better right now. Um, and, and one of them, um, it's called uh, the Sports Vision Trainer. It's, it's uh, one of the examples. And I'll see if I can put uh, the video in the show notes. But uh, you, you see Vasily Lomachenko, who is probably the best boxer alive right now. And you see him uh, in front of a board. And he's just uh, um, hitting a board as it lights up. And there's another one where he has to do calculations and hitting certain numbers that are that are on a wall uh, depicted and so on. And that's just and that is a type of training that actually works really, really well. And that's sports science that has taught us um, relatively recently that this is actually an incredibly good way to train your nervous system to react much, much quicker. So you don't, it's not, say, I'm not saying that, you know, evading that, those swinging heavy bags uh, are, are bad. It's just that we know that there's something that works actually a lot better. And that's technology. And that's what science has given us. And and, and just slightly digressing is, is that <laughs> many, many teaching methods in the martial arts are really antiquated and are counterproductive. And I know this is cursing in the church for some people. But uh, yeah, that's it. My job is being a personal trainer. I teach people professionally. I teach professionals. Uh, I teach athletes. This is my job, and and I can prove this with with science. If if anybody wants to take me up on it, but uh, the point is that, like you say, progress is is supposed to be a part of what we do in the arts. And then it's just, I think that's what it maybe boils down to. In essence, is trying to make progress without breaking anything. Yeah, but, and and of course, this is it's one of these. It's almost like a paradox, really. Traditionally, yeah, that's what they did. You know what I mean? So, so to, this notion, I think, uh, probably because the need for combative skill is now nothing like what it was in, in days gone by. You know, Western society is probably the least violent it's ever been. Yeah. You know, overall, you know, again, taking your point early in certain places, obviously not, but, but overall. So therefore, you've, you've got to measure by something else. And, and I think one of the measures that people in, uh, put onto the martial arts is, well, how pure is it? How close to the original is it? on the assumption that, that original is always better. Well, you know, I, I, I prefer to have my modern car than a, you know, Ford, original Ford, you know what I mean? It's, things are progressing, but as you say, it's done in a methodical way. Yeah. It's not done in a, uh, a free for all. Let, let's do it. You know, we, no one wants to do. And of course, sometimes that's a straw argument. Argument when we talk about evolution, people will say, "Oh, you know, things should change." Oh, well, I know this guy who you know got to Greenbelt and said he was a tenth down in his own style. Well, no one's condoning that. You know what I mean? That that's obviously problematic. But over time, you say with the you know lots of martial artists sharing ideas and um, developing new experiences, new training methods, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I think no reason to not embrace that for some misguided notion of keeping things pure, you know. Yeah, I'm in total agreement. Yeah. Okay, that's all I've got on that one. Okay. I think it's one for you, Wim, I think. Okay, okay, my turn. Um, yeah. the, I've got a bunch more, but uh, I don't know how we're doing on time, but this is one I really want to get to. And one of the most important training tips that I think I can give is that look at other systems from other continents, meaning from other cultures and other... Um, uh, countries from the one that your art that you mainly practice is from. So if I practice Chinese martial arts, look at Japanese, look at Indonesian, look at Western stuff, and vice versa. Um, for many reasons, there's, for instance, many things in Chinese culture that do not translate to the Western mindset. They don't. They just don't. And these are also a part of the martial arts that they teach. And for many people, 
what you end up with is a Western interpretation of an Asian art, as my teacher once said, and that very often there's stuff that doesn't translate. There's stuff that you, even if you know the language, that you don't understand because um, you haven't lived as a Chinese person. You only learn the language later on in life. So you don't have a lifetime of experience in that culture, but you, you have a little bit. So you're maybe a little bit better, but certain things you still don't get and so on. And I know for a fact that this is true for Japanese arts because uh, my girlfriend lived in Japan for three years. She speaks a little bit of Japanese still, but she says there's stuff that you just you can't explain it. It's it's like the the way that the the um, the society works over there, the way that the etiquette works, and and also and you, you can learn a bunch of rules, but there's concepts that just don't translate into very, anything very in English or Dutch or whatever language in the West we have. So. What that means is that, and that's one of the things that I mean with martial arts as systems, why it's so important is that, right, so if you have no idea of understanding the context that, and the cultural context, and the historical context, and what have you, um, from the country of origin, where your system comes from, if you've got no way of truly understanding that, then how can you expect to really get it right? Because, and then we get to the whole thing of how um, information gets lost. You know, the old game when you have a bunch of people uh, standing uh, in line and you say a sentence into the first person. By the time it gets to person number 20, there's something completely different that comes out. Same thing happens when you teach martial arts and self-defense. It totally changes over time, over distance, and with multiple generations. So you end up having a way of thinking that is very specialized because of those aspects. I think it's very enriching if you start looking at, um, as opposed to, you know, I, I teach practical Tai Chi Chuan, I did some Wing Chun, I did Hong Japai, they're all Chinese styles. They're very different from one from the other. Very, very different. But they're all still Chinese. When I started doing Indonesian martial arts, it was, it was very different. There was just a totally different approach. When I studied Filipino martial arts, same thing, very, very different approach, meaning that it was like learning a new language that you never heard before, that doesn't, doesn't conform to any of the rules of whatever language you already know. And that forces you to think out of the box, as people like to say, but it also helps you grow because you have a new filter to which you can look at your uh, original art at. And then it doesn't mean you have to change the original art, but your the way that you view it and your understanding of why things are there will, will, in my experience, very, very likely change for the better. So I would say go try a new system that you're like, okay, I have no idea how this works. Um, if people look at it, some of the Tai Chi that I do, they're like, this is crap. I mean, mm-hmm. and then you get the famous, nobody fights that way. Sure, of course. I know I'm moving slow. I know nobody fights that way. There's a reason why we move slow. But if you say it's crap, well, you won't get to know that reason. Uh, if you think it doesn't work, you're fine. <laughs> I've had people come to my class and, and find out that, well, this actually hurts if he speeds up. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Um, so my point is that try to find arts, if at all possible, from good teachers, from a, from a totally different style, uh, different continent and so on, but empty your cup. When you go to that new, 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 uh, new class, the, the critical thing is that forget for the moment everything you already learned and try to pretend you know nothing. Because if you do the typical thing, which, which we mentioned this a little bit before, yeah, but we do it in our style also, but we, you know, I already know this. And then you don't learn the differences that are actually maybe really, really important. 
Um, to give an example is that much of the jiu-jitsu that you see, the traditional jiu-jitsu comes from um, basically back in the day when people were in armor and there were samurai and there was a battlefield and you didn't want to do certain things and you didn't do certain things because the guy was wearing armor and there was no way you could, you, you, you had to find a way to work around that. Okay, well, if you're not wearing armor, that's not a point, that's not relevant, is it? But if the guy is wearing armor, well, yeah, that's a huge, that's a different deal. Um, and who wears armor nowadays? Well, not many people do, but in very cold climates, they wear extremely thick coats that sometimes you can slash as much as you want. It's going to take a long time until uh, before you can cut somebody. So you can treat it as armor. So that's what I mean with that, you know, empty your cup, try to learn something and, and develop that filter that comes from a different culture, different time, different place. Um, and if you're a little bit lucky, and I, and I think in most cases I, this happens, you're actually going to learn a whole lot more um, about your own style. That was it. That's, that's, yeah, no, I, that's fascinating. And I think, you, yeah, it's really interesting. And I love the way you've expressed it. So from my point of view, I've done Western systems. Yeah. Boxing, kickboxing stuff. Uh, obviously, karate is the main one. So I've done the Japanese system. And I've done a bit of judo as well. You know, a tiny little amount of harness, but, but, but not much. But I've never really done what you're describing. You know, I mean, I, I've done... Japanese art and, and Western art, and obviously Western culture is my culture. I'm fully immersed in it. I, I've never done that thing of learning a Filipino art or, or something like that. And but from what you describe, I can certainly see the value in 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 doing so. As you say, it just gives you another set of eyes. You know, so that's um, yeah, it's a that's a yeah. excellent point. I, and I would it's say really you, got me thinking. You, you don't have to become an expert. That that's not necessarily. But like, do it for like I don't know. Three to six months, and if you like it, maybe do it for a year. Sorry, the, the police is driving by. It's not for me. <laughs> um, so do it for a little while, but do it long enough. Not just two classes, but do it long enough so that you 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 get far enough into the system so that you get a little bit of an overview, um, and and uh, and and get enough experience uh, to understand basically the differences between again Randy's law differences between your system and what you're learning now. Um, so you can compare and contrast. Uh, for instance, uh, I've been fortunate that I've, I've had really good teachers in many different systems and that I've had the time actually to train in so many different systems because it's my job. That's what I do for a living. So that, that, uh, that puts me in a, in a very fortunate position, I know. But for instance, um, I've got a Facebook page. Uh, if you go to facebook.com forward slash MMA formula, so MMA formula, that's my MMA page. Uh, public. I also have one for my class, but this is one that, you know, it's mostly, um, the one for my class is in Dutch, so this one, MMA formula is in English. Anyway, I post a bunch of drills there that I use in class. Um, there's very few people who do the drills that specific way. There's many people who have drills, but not that specific way. The reason why is because the drills that I'm using are based on uh, principles and templates that I learned from Bob Orlando, my Kuntao teacher. And he was well known for his drills, the kill-up hand drills, um, they're called lightning hands because it develops speed and precision and so on. And he was well known for that. He was one of the first guys to, back well over 20 years ago, show those kind of drills. And lots of people uh, try, copied his work poorly, I might add, sometimes. Um, but I've used, uh, I used his work as an inspiration to apply that to MMA techniques, mostly striking. I have five basic drills that I teach that if I can, I can spend a whole weekend teaching just, just the first drill. It's nine techniques. Um, 
just teaching that first drill and all the different variations and uh, exercises that we can do with that that actually teach you all the fundamentals of what you need to learn to be an MMA stand-up fighter. But that's not my work. That's that's using Bob's work. And that comes only because I was exposed to Southeast Indonesian styles thanks to him. So, and, and that's what I mean with using a different filter. There's training methods from a different art that might be really great for the, the, the kind of karate that you teach. And, and vice versa. So I, I, I don't see, there's nobody losing here. Everybody wins. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm lucky that the group that I've belonged to, you know, for like the British Combat Association is a, is a multi-style group. So we, we do get exposed to each other's uh, training methods and we used to do these instructor courses where you'd have you know, experts in given styles come and teach. And so you, you quickly see beyond the, the surfaces of the, the system. But I'd, I'd never considered that the cultural influences in quite the same way you express it. But that, that, that's as a concept that I think that's, that's got a lot of validity. Yeah. You know, I, um, so that, that, that interests me. So yeah, yeah. I'd, um, thank you for sharing that with me, Wim. <laughs> At least somebody got something out of it. No, no, I did. I, you've, you've definitely got me thinking because I've, say I've done Japanese systems and I've done Western systems. You know, and like, but again, your point as well, like, you know, you spend a bit of time in Japan. I've, I, I travel a lot with what I do, you know, yeah. so, you know, US, Australia, all over Europe, you know, I, like Canada, uh, and, and they're a little bit different. You know, you go to Norway is a little bit different from the UK and, you know, and same with, you know, Belgium's a little bit different from Germany, but there's still a Western culture there, you know. And then when, when I went to Japan, it's, this is, different this is totally alien you know I, I i for the first time in my life i felt like a, a complete outsider and then there's that realization well that's the place your art originates from you know so you, you, i see what you're saying there's bound to be things that get um uh well reinterpreted oh some students this i say you know when they what we practice i says we do a western version of a japanese version of an okinawan version of a chinese art that's what we do you know, there's all these different cultures of of, of had a handle on it, and I think obviously that cultural understanding is interesting as in, in and of itself. So, yeah, maybe need to look at some point doing a non-Japanese system. I think Wim has dropped it. Can you hear me? I can Wim. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, the, the police the police car was driving by again, so I switched off the mic. I muted it for a second. Right. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. the, the thing that I just wanted to add to that is is that even if you try different arts from different countries and cultures, and you're like, well, it's not really my thing. I really prefer the Japanese or the Chinese. Okay, it's fine. Go try to find the most different uh, Japanese or Chinese style than that you can find. Uh, if you do traditional Shotokan, try some Kyokushinkai. Because it's very, very different. And, you know, you, you might like it, you might not like it, but it exposes you to uh, a very different way of, of working. And and if you do Wing Chun, okay, try a Northern style or try some Pachich one. Try try something completely different that, that's, that's going to take you out of your comfort zone and actually going to inform you. If you do Western arts, I often tell students who come to, who ask me, I said, look, you don't know punching until you've tried boxing. And if you think that, you know, your karate or kung fu, whatever punch, is so much better than uh, a guy who's done a year of boxing three times a week. Good luck with that. And that's the same thing. No matter how good you are at kicking, you haven't been kicked until you've been run or kicked by a Muay Thai guy. Yeah. You, you have no idea what it's like. It looks, because uh, this was a criticism back in the day from the traditional martial arts crowd, from karate, kung fu, and so on, when they saw uh, Muay Thai style round kicks. It's like, oh, it looks clumsy. I'm like, okay. Well, okay, you might think it looks clumsy. Yeah, they're going to miss, well, you might think they don't know that and they don't have techniques <laughs> to handle that. But you know what? Give it a try. 
see what happens. And and can you still hear me? Yeah, kind of did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Cops. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's a fire or the cops or something. We, we live really close to the fire department, so there could be a fire. Uh, actually, my house might be burning down, so <laughs> I don't see smoke. So if some, if I, if I, you know, suddenly fall fall away, that's um, uh, that means that I died. Ian, sorry about that. <laughs> no, anyway, that was it. That was what I wanted to say. No, no, it's a, it's a, a, a really good point. Uh, I think that's not a bad series of topics. I'm happy to call it the day there with me if, if you are. I think yeah. that's. Uh, I've got a couple of others listed, but but I think that's that was an interesting conversation for me, and I'm sure you know it will be for the the listeners as well. I can't actually let them in on the secret because before we came on on air, if I can use that term, we, we planned another one as well. So yeah. do we want to tell them about what we've planned? Or? Yes, yes. So yeah. um, just to give some background, I think our first crossover podcast was maybe November or December of 2018. Am I right? You are, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I think we, we had left it out like, oh, this is cool. You know, let's do this again, maybe beginning of January or something like that. And I spaced out and you spaced out and, and, and we forgot to contact each other. And now it's May, now it's almost <laughs> June. So, um, trying to make this maybe a little bit more regular. And I have an idea, um, that I think that might be really cool if we just ask each other questions as teachers. So we both teach a lot. You do a lot more seminars than I do, but I do a lot more private training. So maybe ask stuff like, okay, when you have this happening in class, how do you handle it? Or you have, let's say, um, a student who's uh, having trouble with coordination or balance or this or that. How do you handle that? So that it's a little bit letting, letting the listeners have a peek into the mindset of the teacher. Because what we're doing in this episode is the same thing as what we, we often do when we have a podcast. So we're still teaching, like we're telling students like, okay, these are some tips and these are common mistakes that you can avoid. But the next conversation, I think it might be worthwhile. I mean, at the very least for both of us, because you've got a, a truckload of experience uh, that I'd like to learn from. So if we talk about those kind of topics and, and I would suggest we both prepare a set of questions to each other and then see where we end up and then let the, the other people listen in. I think that's an excellent idea. Uh, yeah, and so that's a that's a conversation I would like to have anyway with you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it, we might as well record it and let you know, so not just two people benefit from it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's an excellent idea. So, okay. so yes, dear listener, watch, excellent. listen to this space. Yeah. So, for the listeners, we're going to try to do that. You know, still this year in 2019. Yeah, we, we said the months. summer. So, they, they, we, we, if we make that commitment publicly, yeah, and we said July, July or August. Okay. So, you know, if they haven't heard from us in September, St- start shout. Yeah, start shouting at us start throwing stuff <laughs> okay that's great Ian I want to thank you for your time and for this conversation again it was really interesting for me and, and I hope the listeners um, will, will enjoy it as well yeah no, I'm, I'm sure they will I enjoyed this a lot Wim so it's um, yes thank you very much for your time you too okay take care Bye-bye. bye now Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And as you heard, myself and Wim will be back with another conversation uh, pretty soon. Uh, be sure to check out Wim's podcast as well, because if you're not a regular listener, you should be. I'm, I'm sure you'll really enjoy it. He has some great guests on there and some great conversations. Uh, also, you know, the, the interviews that I've done, like I say, they're all recorded. They're, they're ready to go. Uh, some of them are semi-edited, so it shouldn't be that much longer before I can get them uh, them all out here. And once they're done, I'll get them out thick and fast. As soon as I've uh, finished editing them, I'll, I'll get them sent out. So it might be a slew of podcasts 
coming. A feast or a famine, right? Uh, and as I mentioned at the start as well, you know, my, my time is limited. You know, there's only one of me and there's only 24 hours in the day, right? So something uh, that people could do to help me is, uh, if you're interested in my view on a given topic, what could help is to Google it first. Because uh, I get an awful lot of emails. Emails are one of the most uh, um, time-hungry uh, things that I have. I spend a lot of time answering emails. And more often than not, what I'm actually doing is I, I just link an article. So people ask a question, I say, well, you'll find that in this article, or you'll find that in this podcast or this video. So uh, what you can do to help me have that little bit more time to serve more people is, if you do have a question, type my name into Google and then your question, because there's a good chance, you know, with almost 20 years of writing that there's something that uh, I've already produced that will answer your questions. Now, if it's still not clear, then you know, I'm always here to help, but, but that would help. The other thing is, if you have emailed me, you know, a little bit of patience uh, in understanding how busy I am and, and the time it sometimes takes me to reply would be great too. Sometimes what I'll get is I'll get an email on the Monday and then on Tuesday, did you get the email I sent on the Monday? And then on Wednesday, I sent you an email two days ago and I still haven't heard back. You know, I, I, I understand, you know, in this internet age, it doesn't always work as it should and I understand that people want to check if you haven't heard from me within a week then it's a good idea to, to follow up um, if it's still within that week the chances are I've just not had the opportunity to get to your email yet that, 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 that's all it'll be so yeah, uh, yeah anything you can do on that front to help keep the email uh, inbox a little bit lighter that would be great and of course you know, remember there's other ways to communicate as well so it, it's social media I'm very active on uh, the forum is a fantastic place to, 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 to ask your questions because I'm active on the forum you won't just get my view uh, but you'll get the view of everyone else's on there as well we've got some really knowledgeable experienced people on there uh, and also you know I, I like the forum because it serves lots of people when I, when I write a uh, an in-depth reply to a question on the forum it doesn't just help the person I've responded to it helps everyone who ever reads it you know so that, that's a, an efficient use of time so yeah any help you can give me and, and, and your patience and understanding is greatly appreciated particularly with these podcasts because you know I, I appreciate you listening and, and I know they're not as regular as we would both like them to be so you know i'm going to do my best to uh, try and correct that now and if you are desperate for a little bit of audio content and you're not a app subscriber you may be interested to know that we have added an audio section to the app uh, it's in its infancy but you know uh, i i thought that would be a fun thing too as well as the thousands of videos we've got on there to start adding some audio so as well as people sitting and watching a video they can listen to the audio you know while they're driving working out all that kind of stuff and uh, they're not going to replace the podcast they're going to be different it's a slightly different format uh, they're going to be a little bit shorter to address a specific nuanced topic so so yeah you may find that of interest too so anyway that's enough from me i thank you so much for listening and i'll be back with uh, more information as soon as i possibly can be hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later okay take care now bye bye